The Contenders is a proud member of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For other great shows about movies and pop culture, go visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. You don't think she's a little young for the hard stuff? Washington says she's a killer. He's the key to Bin Laden. I don't fucking care about Bin Laden. What else have you done for us besides Bin Laden? Nothing. I've done nothing else. Welcome to The Contenders, the show about the movies made by and starring women who refuse to play by the rules. I'm Aislinn Addington. And I am Tobin Addington. And once again, we are joined by a special guest. I'm really excited. I'm always really excited. I really, I, as I've been editing these, I realize I say that all the time, but it's always true. Uh, today, we have a, a good friend of mine, a young filmmaker and a, an emerging video essayist. I don't know if I'm supposed to spoil that yet, but he's working on a, <laughs> on, on a video. I said it's really, really good and beautifully produced that I hope you will all get to see uh, soon. But I'll, <laughs> I'll let him tell me if I need to cut that out. Uh, today, we've got Ryan McGilloway with us. Hey, Ryan. Hello, everyone. No, you don't need to cut that out. That's fine. My millions of fans are spoiled. <laughs> yes. Well, now you'll know who listens to the podcast or not. That's true. Oh, yeah. Good That's call. True. Yeah. See who Thank your you. true friends are. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I actually didn't know those fantastic things about Ryan. I know Ryan as a, um, a fellow Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> as a, player. As an elf, I think, or a yeah. half elf or something. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, with our friend Sean, who is a loyal listener. Hi, Sean. Hey, Sean. Today, we will be uh, talking about Zero Dark Thirty from 2012. Isla, I'm guessing you'd never seen this before based on the picture you, you tweeted. <laughs> you know, that is, tr- that is true. I had not. <laughs> and in fact, I didn't even get all the way through it last night. Mm. I got through the zero in the dark, but I had to watch the 30 today at my lunch break. <laughs> That's an intense 30 for lunch. Yeah. Honestly, it was dark. That last piece is either dark or night vision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and beautiful in, in well, um, beautiful in some ways mm-hmm. and, and real disturbing in others. But we'll get there. <laughs> um, so, yes, I was aware of the film because uh, Tobin had pointed Catherine Bigelow out to me before then. And so I had, you know, been aware of her, aware of the Hurt Locker, but had not seen this because I knew it dealt so frankly with torture that I had sidestepped it um, for my own sensitivities. But hey, this podcast is so important (laughs) that I had to uh, journey into it. Uh, How about you all? Ryan, um, how familiar with this film were you? Um, I watched it when it came out, so in 2012, which to date you guys means I had just been one year out of high school. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Uh, Which, you know, I have an interesting relationship with this movie and its subject matter because I was in third grade when 9-11 happened. And so I didn't grow up kind of uh, seeing the political side of things, just the uh, sad side of things. I didn't know any of the political trauma that went into it until, you know, I got to be a high schooler. You know, this movie may have even been one of the early access points for me to kind of learn about the subject. So, um, but I hadn't seen it since then until, you know, the other day. 
Wow. So are you then, the way you've described it, was it historical for you in high school? I mean, still recent, but, but you know, was it in, mm. in the books or? No, I, I think I'm kind of some of the last mm-hmm. people to clearly remember where I was. Um, right. Nine eleven. Like I have yeah. a very clear memory of the day and where I was in school and what I kind of learned about it afterwards. So I think the events were not particularly historical, but the the specifics were in a way. Like I, you know, I, I didn't know a whole bunch at you know eighteen years old about the the torture. You know, I knew that torture was a thing. You know, in air mm-hmm. quotes, but I didn't. I didn't really know like who was reporting on it and where it was coming from and those kinds of things. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Tobin, how about you? Uh, I saw this movie when it came out. I can't remember if I saw it in the theater or not. I feel like I did. This is, I think, maybe the third time I've seen it um, for this viewing. And And when you saw it in the theater, were you chaperoning? Ryan's high school class? (laughs) No, I didn't. You know, it's funny because I was going to say I've I've known Ryan now for like six or seven years, I think, which is kind of wild. Um, But Mm -hmm. I was I was just getting I I moved to New York uh, about three weeks before 9-11. And so I was 23 or something like that. uh, I was just starting grad school. I was there for film school. So that that if that that sort of pinpoints all our ages, or at least Ryan's at my age. Um, <laughs> so so yes, yeah, so no, I wasn't chaperoning the trip. And it's a movie that I have always really admired, but I have not. It's not not a movie I reach for to watch a lot. It's a hard sit. Mm-hmm. This is not an easy movie to watch. So yeah, so it's a it's a movie, but it's a movie that I always sort of have f- f- sort of. A fond feelings is not the right way to say it. I, I appreciate the artistry of the movie a lot when I and I reference it sometimes, but uh, but and I've read the script about four or five times, but I've only seen only seen it about three now. Excellent. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you about artistry when we really get into it because that was when I was looking for something to you know <laughs> things to uh, hold on to yeah. and appreciate yeah. in it. Definitely, there's craft. I I, I Agree. I appreciate yeah. it there. But um, before we get to it, mm. I'd like uh, two bits of film history, please. Yeah, let me give you two bits. Uh, the first bit is that Mark Bowles, the writer of this movie, he had written Catherine Bigelow's previous film, The Hurt Locker, for which uh, she won the, f- the the first Oscar for a best director that went to a woman. Uh, the only, In fact, the only one <laughs> was mm-hmm. hers for The Hurt Locker. So they they worked on that before. And then and he, he was a journalist prior to being a screenwriter. And then uh, was working on a movie that uh, a script about the Battle of Tora Bora, where where Bin Laden got away, and it was in the in the middle of that uh, of the research and the writing of that uh, when the events of t- 2011 that the film ends with, as Bin Laden is killed, uh, happened. And so in the you know they had a quick had to quickly change course. On the on the script, luckily, the sort of a lot of the research that he had done and the people that he was talking to were useful in sort of restructuring the movie and 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 reorienting it a little bit. Um, and that, that he came into some controversy for some of that based on how close he was to some of the CIA subjects that he interviewed. But we'll get into that as the movie goes along. Uh, the other bit is uh, there. There are so many ways it feels to me like this movie could have gone wrong. The first is that Rooney Mara was the first person cast to play Maya, the Jessica. 
Chastain role. She had to drop out to make side effects with Steven Soderbergh. And then she was working on one of the Terrence Malick movies. Uh, I can't remember which one, but she was very close to getting this that role. I'm, so what do you guys think about that? Can you imagine Rooney Mara as uh, as Maya? I would have had a very different Maya. Very different. Yeah, I agree. Um, she's intense, but not in the same way that Jessica Chastain is intense. So I don't know. Rooney Mara, I think, would make me nervous. You know, sometimes when she's being intense, as you say, it it, it makes me nervous in a way that I wasn't. With. Jessica Chastain has a stillness mm-hmm. that I think worked for Jessica this. Jessica seems like stoic almost. And uh, I don't know if, if I attribute that to Rooney Mara. Yeah, I've always felt we talked about this when we did the uh, Cinemakers podcast episode about side effects uh, that I think that Rooney Mara for me works really well in some roles, um, but it's she's kind of an impen- impenetrable actress for me. Mm-hmm. And that there's time there's times that really works. And I think that Jessica Chastain, you see the I think you see the effects on her psyche and her soul kind of crack through the, her, the, the walls she's built up in a way that maybe Rooney Mara could have done, but that feels like. Uh, plays more to Jessica Chastain's strengths. Also, James Cameron was a, was for a while attached to, to direct this movie, uh, which I think, uh, Isa, what do you think about that? I mean, it, I <laughs> there was room for um, Chris Pratt to become the Hudson of this film. <laughs> It would have been it would have been broy yeah. if James Cameron had done it. Would have been a, a real different movie, I think. Yeah, yeah. Now, the final way this could have gone wrong, or and I'm sure there are many ways, right? Every movie is full of stories of how it you know almost went off the rails, or or at least became a very different movie from what you get. The last one is that Jessica Chastain's agents apparently passed on the role before she was even told she'd been offered the role. Uh, this happens oh. a lot uh, as actors are sort of, especially as they're emerging into their, in the early stages of their careers. And so Megan Ellison, who was one of the producers on the movie uh, and uh, bankrolled the movie, she had worked with her in, in another movie. And so I, as I understand it, she just gave Catherine Bigelow Jessica Chastain's phone number and had let her call her directly and like, hey, hey, you want to make this movie? And she uh, and she jumped at the chance. So those are my those are my two bits for uh, for Zero Dark Thirty. Excellent. Well, speaking of some of the um, ladies in charge, we have a few and I would like to to name them. Please do. So um, director and producer Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> uh, major <laughs> acting roles uh, include Jessica Chastain, as we've mentioned. And Jennifer L. Producer, as Tobin recently mentioned, Megan Ellison. I've been a fan for so long, and to hear the ding uh, live, <clears throat> that was pretty magical. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Just for you. Long time listener, first time exactly. dinger. <laughs> yeah. Tobin, again, as I said for the Aliens episode, um, would you please give a brief plot description or a brief summary um, for our mother who I advise not to watch this film? (laughs) Yes, this is the second one in a a row that I think uh, Mama should probably not watch. Uh, So here we go. Zero Dark Thirty follows a CIA targeter named Maya, played by Oscar nominee Jessica Chastain, through her 10-year hunt for Osama bin Laden. In that time, she participates in the torture of detainees, survives assassination attempts, outlives many of her colleagues, and overcomes bureaucratic inertia, all the while laser-focused on locating the leader of Al-Qaeda and bringing the mastermind of the 9-11 terrorist attacks to justice. And that's really kind of all there is. I mean, it's a, it's a streamlined plot, right? There's not... 
there, a lot a lot happens, but it's not like uh, there is no beat. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well said. Well yeah, said. And I think it it's was tricky to make a decade long, you know, myopic journey mm-hmm. into something that one would want to watch and, and rewatch. And do you think they did? I do. I think early on I connected with Jessica Chastain and her determination, but also with it being a puzzle. Mm-hmm. And not only – so I connected with that in part because 100% honesty, my eyes were closed for much of the first third of this movie. <laughs> it's tough, man. Yeah. I'm going to fully disclose that there are things I do not need in my brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't have room because I have other stuff that has also happened. And I and I don't mean that to be um, flippant about any of these issues that are really important and should be talked about and, and litigated if necessary. But like I just I was not in a place where yeah. I could eyeball on some of that. So I had um, a trusty partner in crime who I would look at. And then when they stopped wincing, I'd look back at the screen. <laughs> was that Toots? Was that your dog? <laughs> <laughs> Toots was pretty calm for the whole thing. Okay. I think Toots is kind of a bro, to be fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that I felt like I got her in that for her, it was a puzzle. Mm-hmm. And it had very real stakes, but but that I connected with. So I think... Yes, it, it's compelling also because it is related to this, you know, earth shattering event in United States history mm-hmm. that also is compelling in and of itself. Am I wrong? No, I think you're right. I think you're right. We don't really get the scene where we find out what her motivation is because her motivation is 9-11. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like we, the film never tells us, like, she's really passionate about you know, her work because of these backstory reasons. It's just like 9-11 happened. She's here. She's she's doing it. That's such a good point. We so rarely go home with her. We, we get so few glimpses of what she does in her off hours, maybe partly because it seems like she doesn't take off hours. She seems to be working right. all the time. This is it. This is all I do. This is like this is who she is. I was also struck and you're both film scholars in a way that I am not. So answer me this, please. A woman based on a woman and women mm-hmm. in the CIA, as my understanding. Mm-hmm. But um, so a woman at the center of this story who is participating and part of military torture mm-hmm. is kind of a note that I don't think is struck often mm-hmm. with female characters. Oh. You know, for better or worse, positive, negative, moral, immoral, you know, what mm-hmm. beyond mm-hmm. that, like – she is our window in, if not, you know, the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And she is actively involved in in this kind of, you know, nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how to yeah. how to better say it, but um torture. Yeah. And that that struck me as that's unique. Completely. It's an interesting perspective. You know, and like you said, we I don't think we've ever gotten something like that. And she, you know, that 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 opening scene. Um, with her and Dan, she, you know, is sort of at arm's length with it, but she quickly realizes, mm-hmm. like, this is the job, and she just kind of get, mm-hmm. gets it. 
But I think what's interesting about it for me in terms of the, the, what, the movie's implications for not just cinema history, but our history is that she seems, uh, as you say, kind of a- ambivalent about it. Like she feels she feels you can tell she's in that opening bit. She's both kind of repulsed by it, but also mm-hmm. feels like it's necessary in some way. And that that kind of ambivalence, the strong feeling both ways echoes, I think, the sort of what the country's going through at that moment of what is the right way forward. And we are all implicated in this in to one degree or another. And how do we navigate through it and get out of it and, and come through the other side whole uh, is, is I think of, of kind of, I don't know if brave choice is the right way, but it's an interesting um, it's, it's a more interesting sort of take on all that stuff than I think the critics gave it credit for when it first came out. Totally. I also uh, read a little bit about the that um, controversy and, and folks saying, so what I got out of reading about it was, on the one hand, uh, you know, showing torture as a positive, right, as a way to get things that we needed. And then on the other hand, people saying it, it was the political on the opposite side and condemning torture. Mm-hmm. And this is a much different realm. And I, I don't mean to make light again of this serious issue, but it so reminded me of in Parks and Recreation in the Time Capsule episode when they're talking about Twilight and whether to have it in or not. And one person said it's, you know, pro-Christianity and one person said it was anti. Right. And so Leslie Nope is like, isn't that interesting? Too Christian? Not Christian enough. Let's <laughs> hmm. just try to mitigate the conversation. And so as often happens, Leslie Nope popped into my mind uh-huh. when uh-huh. reading various reactions to this. But I digress. Just thinking about powerful ladies. And so um, yeah, yeah. Leslie Nope came up. One of the things that I love about this movie is that it's a procedural. This Zodiac uh, and all the president's men, all these movies that are about the behavior of the people as they're doing the thing and how they do the thing, whatever that thing is, as opposed to a more traditional kind of story where you get deep inside a character and watch them grow and change and are, are, are as interested in that as you are in the, in the work that they're doing. It's interesting because I think the movie treats the first 30 minutes, that whole torture bit, as part of the procedural, which is maybe why there's like a strange reaction to it, whether it was, you know, pro or anti-torture, because it's just these people are doing their jobs and the movie treats it like it's just part of the mm. process and the characters never yeah. really... I think you get one scene where Dan's like, I can't do this anymore. I got to go. But that's really the only scene where the characters reflect on, should we be doing this? It's just sort of, mm-hmm. we're doing this as part of the job. This is part of answers. And this is how it is. Whether it was part of the actual um, discovery of Bin Laden or not, this happened. You know, like things like this are, are happening. Right. That's such a good point. That's true. I think that that is the way that's that's depicted. I have a lighthearted comment, but that's only because, again, I can't watch. But I, I, I agree in listening to it. Um, <laughs> I agree that it was – and even just the calling it the detainee program. Yeah. 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 Right. It wasn't I'm going to go torture people. Right. And it wasn't until much later in that conversation with Dan when he referenced things that happened. You don't want to be the one caught holding a dog yeah. collar or whatever. Right. Um. So the lighthearted thing was still in the first half early on, they're in Kyle Chandler's office and and talking about, you know, mm-hmm. their leads and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I the it panned around and there was what well, you know, I couldn't tell if it was a bowl or a vase or what, but it looked like it had Skittles in it. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. what? That's great. And then indeed, Dan <laughs> picks out a couple of Skittles and yeah. 
for me, it was like, well, I needed to find joy at any point. So that was a little bit of a moment of joy for me, but also I think gets us into talking about the artistry of this film and the, I don't know, like not because, uh, I mean, there's, there's some sort of, has to be some discussion about humanity in, you know, talking about torturing people, but also just in like these little things and little interactions, Dan and the monkeys. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a great moment. And the Skittles in the bowl and, you know, kind of just these few, I don't know, uh, release releases from what's going on that were included, but we're not, I felt like we're still subtle. We're not, Mm -hmm. well, now we're taking a break from the torture. Yeah. I mean, the the film is so, for so much of it is so heavy on jargon and it's so calculative. And there's so much like murky, heavy theory that when you get like little drops of sunshine, you're like, Oh, these are people. people." And struggling with. Excellent. Well said. Thank you. There's some great interviews with Mark Bowl. He didn't mention the skills in particular, but I, I do love that moment. And there's there are a lot of those kinds of moments that come out of his interviews with the people who were involved in the actual mm. events. And so mm. you get to you, you, there's some window into someone. I'm, I wonder if someone said, yeah, and the station chief always had this giant bowl of Skittles or whatever. Right. Like the, you could imagine that being a little detail that sticks in his brain mm. as a journalist thinking about how to add some color to the scene and then ends up being this this little moment in the in the movie what do you think about kyle chandler in this movie Island? i mean i love kyle chandler <laughs> <laughs> i think he did a great i think it wasn't it was a heavy movie as we've said and there was gravity to his position Mm-hmm. That he played well, but I mean, he was there when he was there and then he wasn't when he wasn't, I, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not a role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will not remember him for the role. And I, I don't think that's his fault. I think he did right. great. I forgot he was in it. And then he shows up and I think, oh, this is great. Coach is here. And he has such sort of, he, he he's a he's an actor who so often carries a lot of moral authority, uh, maybe, maybe shaded differently in this movie than like, I can't imagine coach condoning some of the things that happened in this movie under his watch, but there is a real sense of, of, he just is able to, for me, just step into a role and he brings a lot of sort of gravitas with him without having to do very much. So it was a real joy to see him back in. But I, I, yeah, I, I feel the same way because I had forgotten he was in it. I liked in, in thinking about it um, as I prepared for today, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a little bit of a contrast and I might be reaching and you can cut this out um, between him and then kind of what may or may not have happened and Dan and what may or may not have happened because, the, you know, there was a changing of administration mm-hmm. partway through all of this and then a changing in, in policy and direction. And there were repercussions for things that maybe they didn't think there'd be repercussions for, et cetera. And so I, I had my notes like ultimatum for Coach Taylor when she gets she's very you know angry and says, you're like, you're if you don't let me do this, you're going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for him, Al-Qaeda would still be focused on overseas targets. If you really want to protect the homeland, you need to get bin Laden. This guy never met bin Laden. This guy's a freelancer working off the fucking internet. 
No one's even talked to Bin Laden in four years. He's out of the game. He may well even be dead. He might as well be fucking dead. But you know what you're doing? You're chasing a ghost while the whole fucking network goes all around you. You just want me to nail some low-level mullah crackadola so you can check that box on your resume that says while you were in Pakistan, you got a real terrorist. But the truth is, you don't understand Pakistan, and you don't know Al-Qaeda. Either give me the team I need to follow this lead, or the other thing you're gonna have on your resume is being the first station chief to be called before a congressional committee for subverting the efforts to capture or kill bin Laden. You're fucking out of your mind. I need Vortex in a safe house in Ralpindi. Vortex in a safe house in Peshawar. Either send them out or send me back to D.C. and explain to the director why you did it. Under my notes, I was like, well, then he has to leave. (laughs) (laughs) You know, separately. So he's, right, removed from his position. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of things, um, Dan, who was so so intimately involved with the detainee program and then stepped away in order to help get things done later, says, yeah, you can hang this on me. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'll go, I'll go down in flames for this and, and sort of trades culpability mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. assistance. And, and not that one is better than another, but just, um, I liked the, the contrast and the showing how the, not the, I mean, yes, the political part, but sort of the career part is also more complicated. Mm-hmm. It, it, in, in Dan's case, it wasn't necessarily that he, wanted to hurt people or enjoyed hurting people, but it was the job mm-hmm. and it was how you got information. And then when it turned out that it was bad, <laughs> you know, I mean, then he, you know, he had sort of power to play there. And, you know, my, based on just what we've seen, Kyle Chandler was above it in some ways, but then held accountable. And I don't know. I just liked, I just thought that was an interesting contrast. It is interesting that once Kyle Chandler is gone, we don't see him again. Like he's just he just disappears from the movie. What I my understanding is that what actually happened is that his identity got released. It was a whole thing that happened where the I think they eventually traced it back to the ISI, the sort of secret police of or the sort of military police of Pakistan who uh, released his his like these people's. Um, names so that he was his cover was blown basically uh, right. and so that's well, yeah she said ISI fucked you yeah yeah and and that it's a him. similar kind of thing that happens to her when she is almost assassinated in her driveway and then has to leave because she can't operate in the region anymore because she can't people know who too too much who she is it's a fascinating fascinating thing another character that I liked so much was the uh I, now I've heard it as Jennifer Ely but it does look like Jennifer L so oh. I don't know oh I'm sorry no, I don't know you should have corrected well, me know. in an earlier segment I'm, I don't know though which it is so I was sort of I don't know well I will have to look that up <laughs> Jennifer L oh it is Jennifer oh. L. okay fine you were right <laughs> okay good <laughs> all right in that case, we'll leave this part in. <laughs> I liked that character and I liked that contrast. Mm-hmm. We're talking about, uh, you know, breaking rules and I think breaking molds and showing two women who are both intelligent, good at their jobs. Driven. etc., mm-hmm. Driven, determined, all the things, but do it in different mm-hmm. ways and have a different... What seemed to me, and I, you know, we're overanalyzing everything, but like, um, a, what is a, a different disposition mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about the situation? 
but still like a very deep respect for each other. Yes, absolutely. And getting along. Yeah, absolutely. So they weren't they weren't competitors. They were not antagonistic at all. They just approached the situation differently, but relied on each other. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I appreciated being able to see different shades. I'll be honest. I do. I do not like her last scene. I think it's my least favorite scene. When the car is approaching and. Yeah, I think it's like the for such a tight, tense movie. That that scene screams the car is going to blow up. Oh, yes. I have in my notes, me, when the car is coming into the base, I'm so worried. I'm so worried. I'm so worried. I'm so worried. <laughs> They're yeah. like, no, just put the guards down. The guard, We don't need the guards. It's fine. The black cat walks across the screen. Everyone's just like happy. She's instant messaging her. And it's like, yeah, you know, this is I feel like by the time the moment happened, I... I wasn't that tense. And maybe like, uh-huh. because, and, and only because the rest of the movie is like very tense. The last, you know, the, the raid scene is like <laughs> yeah. so tense. And this movie just like, maybe if it was 45 seconds shorter, I would have liked mm-hmm. it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But we get such a, there's the car, there's the uh-huh. car, and there's that. And it just, it goes like, all right, see ya. I can I can totally see that objection to it. What's I think kind of interesting about the movie is that there are a number of times when we are when when um, events happen, especially when bombs go off, and mm-hmm. sometimes we're surprised by them. I mean, I think there's a there's a great scene where Maya and Jessica, that's Jennifer L's character's name, were there eat, having dinner. Right. Or about to eat dinner and a bomb goes off near them and it comes out of nowhere in that yeah. scene, I think. Like I, mm-hmm. that, totally. that's that felt like a like sort of like a jump scare. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when but when but when that mo- that scene comes like they are they are she is milking the suspense of that moment um, and maybe a little a little too much. It's true. One of the things that I love about the Jessica Maya relationship is that it begins a little confrontational mm-hmm. when Maya first walks in and, yeah. and like, it's like, it's like says, no, that was that's pre 9-11 behavior. And and I think that what's neat about that is that there we never get a scene where they like um, reconcile and apologize. Right. Like you, you so, so many movies. Business, yeah. And all kinds of but especially women. I feel like are asked to apologize to one another and like to reconcile this thing so we can all be friends. And instead you just get the sense as we move from scene to scene that they have learned to respect, as you guys are saying, learn to respect one another, but that we never have to see that happen. It just, mm. we just sort of, it's this, this is the work. And that's, that's a sort of relationship between these two characters that I, or that's the way that relationship is built. I think is just beautifully done. I like that too, Tobin. Thank you. I also like that we don't have an extended conversation about them being the some of the only women in the room. Mm-hmm. Right. And and in the same way that they may, you know, they may or may not have had uh, a, a reconciliation or come, you know, come to understanding verbally, they may or may not have discussed like, here we go again. How many, you know, what a sausage party. But mm-hmm. um they didn't need we didn't need them to do that because they were there to do work. And it, it doesn't mean we shouldn't acknowledge that there were always rooms full of men. Um, and maybe, too, it was because Maya be Maya as a character being based on a woman, but also a number of women in the CIA who are sort of at that level getting things done. Right. Mm-hmm. But I appreciated not having to sit through that. It handles it really well. I mean, the movie knows you're aware she's the only woman in the room or they're the only two women in the room and they just do their job and they do it really well. 
There's a fascinating HBO documentary called uh, – I think it's called Manhunt, The Search for Bin Laden. And it interviews the three or four women who were the targeters for searching for bin Laden all those years. The, the women who are, who are sort of collapsed into, these, into, the, into the Maya character. And then there's one who really was the, the sort of Jessica character who died in, a, in the same way that she dies in the film. And, and it's fascinating partly because uh, they're, they're, they were called – I think it were called like the, the sisterhood or something hmm. like that. Like there was a name for them. And they took a lot of shit over the years for being quote-unquote obsessed with bin Laden. Like uh, even prior to 9-11, there, there were some of them who were – Tracking him through the the you know various bombings in um, East Africa and the attack on the USS Cole in Yemen and like all the stuff leading up to to nine eleven and then afterwards and and I think they play a lot of that really well in the movie. You get the sense that her determination is sort of the it feels the movie is telling us that the, her determination is the only thing that ever gets us across the finish line in the movie. It carries the entire thing, right? Like, and if she wasn't doing it, it wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. The, the, the movie rides on Maya believing she's right. Right. I have two while we're Maya-ing. I have two Maya quotes that I wrote down. They happen to be near each other, but um, I don't remember who told her to calm down. Because <laughs> I watched, I do oh, watch yeah. the whole thing, right? And she said, I am calm. And then kept <laughs> going. And I, I, it's a joke now among my colleagues that they will tell me something to do. So that I will say, don't tell me what to do, <laughs> right? Because I've said it so many times that now it's a joke. It's funny. But I, I liked that because while, again, I don't want to have a – I don't need to see a lot of conversations on screen about, you know, gender tropes. I I like a, a sort of pointed moment like that where it's like, yeah, I bet that happened a lot. <laughs> yeah. And that moment felt so organic too. Yes. It, didn't, it wasn't like, oh, look what they're doing here. It just, it was part of the scene. Mm -hmm. And then shortly after that, um, when she's, uh, was upset that there weren't people out, out in the field and the, the guy said, well, you know, my guys need to sleep or whatever. And she says, I, I don't care if your guys sleep, <laughs> which yeah. I think then goes back to that determination and her feeling like if not being, if she doesn't persevere, you know, we will lose this opportunity or we won't get this information. These things won't happen. And whether the guys sleep is not her job. Her, her mm -hmm. job is something else. So she literally doesn't care. <laughs> and I, I liked that in, in the, in, I thought it was um, demonstrative for the character. And so I, I liked it for that. Um, moment there's a great little making of on the dvd of this movie where the, you see them shooting that scene and in between oh. takes they're talking about the lines and she calls out that line in particular and says i love that line you know she's talking to uh, it's off off camera so you can't see who it's not a, not an interview like she's we're just sort of in the room as they're rehearsing the scene but she calls out that line and another thing that you learn in this in some of the making ofs just getting us getting to hear Catherine bigelow talk about the movie and the process and to, and to see her work, you see some Maya in her. You see some mm. that's some sense of, you know, and Ryan, you've made movies and Eisen, you've, you've made movies too. There are moments at which you're the, sort of the only person who will like you. No one's going to care more than you. And so right. you have to care 130 yeah. percent in order to carry the thing over. And you, so I, I see I, I felt a real kinship there between Maya and Catherine Bigelow. Speaking of the work, I have a question uh, about whether something worked for you all or not. Um, mm. The film seems to be split into segments. 
Mm-hmm. So there are time stamps and and tell and um, location stamps, but then there are also like subtitles, like chapter headings, like chapters, yeah. chapters yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I thought then, because I, I I didn't know exactly, I thought it was based on a book nope. at first ah. before I looked and you know googled is it based on a book. So did those chapters were they effective for you? Were they helpful for you? Did how what was your reaction? I think that they were effective in putting me where I needed to be as the next section started. But I also felt conversely that every time we started a chapter, I felt uh, maybe this is good. Maybe this is bad. I felt a little like it was a little jarring. It took me a second to get into where we were when we jumped and we jumped around a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, The pacing sometimes between those chapters felt like, Oh, and five years went by. Oh, oh, here we go. And, you know, it took me just, you know, a little bit to get back on track. But I think had they not been there, it would have been very disoriented. It, it's good to hear that from you because I wondered if my sort of feeling, you know, I, I had the feeling of being uh, the needle coming up and then back down on a record. Mm, yeah. It was kind of cool. yes, how I yes, Completely. But I wondered if that was because of only listening to the first part of the <laughs> 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 Because I, I did feel like the, you know, absolutely I wanted the date stamps on it because this was right. a 10-year journey. But uh, but I also felt that the, the ch- sort of chapter headings were not inconsistent, but just a little jarring like you said yeah yeah there's a a sense in which putting chapter headings on in a movie is always going to feel a little bit gimmicky i think and uh, you know the i think the generous reading of it is that you know mark bowl a lot of what he he would write magazine articles and sometimes in magazine articles they'll they'll have these little little chapter headings uh in a in a long long form you know piece so it felt a little journalistic in that way i think i wonder if structurally the reason they needed to do it is because the movie is so relentless and and sort of just moves mm. at such a so yeah fast. just sort of through yeah. all this stuff that you, that we need to be that maybe we needed the record to, uh, needle to be lifted once in a while, just to give us a breath, and then and then dive back into it. Like I wonder if it would have if it would have felt kind of oppressive not to have that. One thing I do like about lines like that is that you, then or the the titles is that I'm then I'm sort of listening for the line, right? Like it gives me something right. else to sort mm. of listen for in the as you begin to realize that sometimes they're going to say that those words in the in the next chapter, uh, and I, that's a kind of a game that my my brain likes to play, whether or not it works in the movie. Yeah, I can see your your point, Tobin, to resetting would be important because we are going through that decade and that I would, you know, wonder, wait, where did Kyle Chandler go or, oh, we're done with this person or, you know, that that it um, I might get lost in the quickly breezing through, you know, because we'll have something from one year and then something from three years later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that could that could get so yeah, I, I mean, um they drop like names and locations and important <laughs> information as if it was just like you're walking by somebody in the hallway, like, oh, here's important plot information. Came by. <laughs> and, and you're like, oh my God, what did they say? And then, you know, it goes to the next scene and you get that moment to, okay, let me think about this for a moment before we jump into three years later and, and kind of get a little bit of time to digest it, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. With na- the names and locations in this film that are important and, and, you know, may come up later, may not come up later, it made me glad that I watch most things with um, English subtitles on them <laughs> because that yeah. helped it 
stick in my mind. Mm. I do think that there were so many great shots in this movie. Mm. I think it was just beautiful without being unnecessarily grandiose, right? So, so mm-hmm. we recently talked about A Wrinkle in Time, and that was grandiose, mm-hmm. and I think it was meant to be, and it should have mm-hmm. been. And I think similarly, this movie knew what it was the whole way through and was beautiful and and gave you the right snapshots Mm -hmm. for its scope. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't think the movie never really calls out, hey, look at me, but it lets you look at all the right things in all the right ways. Yeah, this is. I think this is a beautifully shot movie, and and you're so right. It doesn't draw attention to itself. The, the The cinematographer has done a number of movies that are are really different. Like he's a really varied um, sort of filmography. His, his name is I don't know if it's Greg or Greg G R E I G Greg Frazier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but he did this movie called Bright Star, which is a movie I would love to do on this show uh, at some point. It's a Jane Campion movie, uh, and it's a beautiful period piece about Keats, about the poet Keats. And it's just gorgeous, and uh, but but very, very still. You know, like it's a very kind of different, very different kind of movie. He's able to capture little moments, too. It's a, something that, that I think – works really well for this kind of material is to capture those little human moments, like the Skittle thing, right? Like that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. A lot of the stuff feels, it's a very observational movie. We're sort of watching the stuff as it happens so that a lot of the most beautiful shots for me feel kind of discovered rather than all set up. There is one, and I don't remember exactly where, because there are multiple times people are in the air and not in the air or meeting a plane or not. And Jessica Chastain was in the foreground but sort of shadowed and her hair was flipping out a little bit in the wind. And then behind that was a landscape, but not a, not a giant Mm -hmm. landscape. And so, you know, I, I followed the wind in her hair to the horizon (laughs) and then realized I had done that. So, you know, I, I, like you say, you sort of discover it and you discover what you need to see. Another one that just sticks out so vividly in my mind is after the the um, Jessica character and everyone <laughs> there um, become the, you know, the victim of a, of a bombing. You see her in a couple different ways. And then it's when she's on the mm-hmm. floor in the corner mm-hmm. and, and um, Jack comes in that it was just so gorgeous. And she wasn't hysterical and she wasn't right. I, you know she wasn't overtly yeah, right, anything right. but she was internally everything right. sure and that just and also the way it was lit i mean it's just all and and so i i feel like she acted that tableau beautifully mm-hmm. but also it was just shot so so nicely and and again that sort of that stillness it's not absent yeah. but it's it's powerful in in the stillness so i just for a movie that i don't Want to watch again? <laughs> it was gorgeous. I had in my notes somewhere along the way that this is a movie that's that I find hard to watch, but extremely watchable. There's there's a effortlessness mm-hmm. with which she captures the action and the behavior and the locations and all this stuff. But but the stuff that she's capturing so often is is so hard to watch that it's it that makes that a little difficult. I love the little <laughs> scene. It's late, later in the movie where. 
uh, Maya comes home wearing the full veil, like the right, and she's mm-hmm. we don't know who it is mm-hmm. when she walks in the door, and then she she takes it off and she's you know having a little snack and turn on the TV and having a drink, and you she puts her like Converse sneaker up, like it just captures these little bits of of life, and yeah. that's like the only time we ever see her in her house ever in the whole movie, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, but just to see what she has to do mm-hmm. to come in and out and 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 live in this place as this kind of person is. I, I just I think those they capture that stuff just beautifully in this movie. Um, speaking of little bits of life in the moving then forward to the, more the end, the final chunk when they have um, enough information mm-hmm. and enough of a plan to move forward. The focus sort of shifts a little bit and it could be because there are you know then famous people to recognize. But when she's with the SEAL team. When, when they're involved, I feel like the, the mm-hmm, focus mm-hmm. shifts a little bit to them. And I wondered if that was a warm handoff for you all, if if that worked for you, or if that felt like a shift in in focus and, and um, POV. I think for me, the moment that sh- they really pass the baton off to them uh, that works is when uh, Joel Edgerton and Chris Pratt are chatting with her and they they're questioning like how confident she is and like whether it's really going to be Bin Laden there. And when they like decide that they trust her implicitly because of how confident she is. And then she sort of like walks out of the scene and like leaves it to them, like knowing like, all right, like I'm doing my job. You guys are going to do my job. And I trust that. I felt pretty good about that. Actually. Mm -hmm. The other th- neat thing is that it's I – th- I feel like the movie is pretty canny in the way it builds up to it. This is a hard thing to do to change the the protagonist of your movie. I mean, you know, to as you say to a right. band – I mean, there's – you can think of a lot of Hollywood versions of this movie. And of course, this was a Hollywood movie, but a, 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 a one that tinker, tinkered with the story more that would try and put her on the helicopters going in, you know, just so that she could – yeah. And and uh, right. what's so what's I think what's kind of cool is that they knowing that that's coming once she gets sent back to D.C., she starts and she, so she can't be in the field looking, you know, following the guys around, like directing stuff from the ground. And so she is ta- she's sort of slowly taken out of the action. And you feel she does this great bit where she keeps writing the in in, in um, uh, dry erase marker on the window of George, oh her, her superior. <laughs> it's like it's been twenty four days. It's been fifty nine days since we think we know where Bin Laden. It's been a hundred days. It's been however long, right? But all this time has passed. And and then the scenes with her and and Leon Panetta, James Gandolfini shows up as the CIA director yeah. and. Yeah. And so you, yeah. you have you have her being and to the point where where she's like at one point exiled to the back of the room <laughs> at a at a big meeting with the director. Uh, you know, so so the movie sort of laying the groundwork for the fact that she is as they're getting closer to the goal, she is being sort of removed from the process. And so the handoff, I feel like gets, it actually takes the, you know, maybe 10 minutes of the movie to, to get the thing ready to hand off to these, to these guys. I think it's pretty smart in the way that the way that it does that. I really enjoy that, that boardroom scene when she's like pushed to the back and all these dudes are talking and they're like talking about how they're going to do this, if they're going to do this. And you know, it's all them, 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 them. And someone, you know, Asked who she is, she says she's the motherfucker who found this place. Yes, I was like, oh my god, that's amazing. (laughs) And how close is that to the house? About a mile. Four thousand two hundred twenty-one feet. It's closer to eight tenths of a mile. 
Who are you? I'm the motherfucker that found this place, sir. Rivaled only by the later scene in that same boardroom where everybody's hedging their bets on whether Bin Laden is actually there. And they're like, oh, I'm, I'm 60% sure. Oh, I'm 80% sure. I'm 20, 40% sure. And she's like, 100%. And then she says, what's she say? Yeah. Like, oh, 95. You guys hate. Uh, you yeah. know, certainly. Yeah, scares the shit out of you guys. Yeah. Like, that's the, that. She's, she just, uh, yeah, I love, the, I love those bits. Well, the part that stood out in that scene for me was somebody saying, well, yes, we've taken your (laughs) X, Y, Z into our calculations. (laughs) Right. It was just like, oh, have you now? Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. (laughs) For me, the part with the – I appreciate hearing your – both of y'all thoughts on on that shift in um, in focus in order to allow us to be on those helicopters and in the compound and not just Mm -hmm. with her in the – and I don't mean just, but yeah, yeah. but um, I I felt like at that point because I am older and between your two experiences <laughs> with nine eleven, I felt like there is respect that ne- the the film you know felt or the film needed to give to that team yeah that went in and did that and so mm-hmm. there was some sort of I don't know if obligation is the right word. I mean, I think it was the right choice and I think they made it work in the story and in the, and in the film, but I, I don't think you could have done it without giving them the spotlight for mm-hmm. that period of time. Mm-hmm. I think there would have been extreme criticism for not kind of sort of giving them a, a respectful spotlight. Yeah. It's nice to know who they are. Yeah. Chris Pratt and Joe Edgerton. <laughs> because it's a different job, right? right Her job, right. different than that job. And and that's something that on TV procedurals really annoys me sometimes, right? When our main characters have crossed state lines right. or their jurisdictions right. to get their bad guy. And being a fan of Kyle Chandler, it's probably not a surprise. I'm also a huge fan of Nathan Fillion. <laughs> so I did watch the castle. I'm not gonna, not gonna lie. I'm also in my heart like 70 years old. So I did watch the castle. That's and elementary. My, well, that was a different time, and we can talk about that at another time. Uh-huh. But one of my favorite moments, and you know, the moment that sticks out for me from Castle is there was a bad guy who was going to a different state, and then the final scene, they were in their office getting a call that the proper authorities had picked up the human in the proper jurisdiction. And I was like, good. Thank you. Finally. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And so, you know, it wasn't her job to be in the helicopter, which Mm -hmm. thankfully not mine either. Helicopter scenes scare me to death. Yeah. (laughs) They not, I mean, personally, I mean, my, my, our father has many times talked about, do not go anywhere near a helicopter if you Mm -hmm. do not have to. Mm-hmm. So I, that could be, um, you know, nurtured, uh, nurtured in me, uh, versus natured in me. But, uh, but yeah, I didn't, I don't want to be on the helicopter. I, but she <laughs> saw them off and I thought that was beautiful yeah. too. And she has that thing, thing at the earlier, uh, where she says, I didn't want to even use you guys. Okay. So how do you know it's been Laden? Cause the truth is we've been on this op before it was 07 and it wasn't bin Laden and we lost a couple of guys. Totally understand. By locating the courier, we've located Bin Laden. That's really the intel. That's it. Quite frankly, I didn't even want to use you guys. With your dip and your Velcro and all your gear, I wanted to drop a bomb. 
but people didn't believe in this fleet enough to drop a bomb. So they're using you guys as canaries in the theory that if bin Laden isn't there, you can sneak away and no one will be the wiser. But bin Laden is there. And you're going to kill him for me. Aizen, what did you think? We talked last time memorably in our Aliens uh, episode, which if people haven't listened to, they should definitely go back and listen to. It's fine. Uh, Just move forward. We're all moving forward. (laughs) You talked about how the about how military culture was represented in that case in a futuristic setting how did you feel like it was represented here and do you think that having a woman at the helm uh, made a difference uh so I, i thank you for the question i want to you know caveat that i'm not an expert on military culture in any way it 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 listen to the episode to see what stuck out to me and what I bumped on in aliens. Um, But in this, you know, when you say, when you point that moment where she said, I didn't want to use you guys and that, I think part of some of that was she was relationship building with them. Mm, Yeah. Interesting. You know, she needed to push They're They're going to push and they pushed her and she needed to be able to push back. Um, Oh, that's so smart. I didn't think about that. You're so right though. um, In the scene when they're playing horseshoes and she's sort of off to the side. I liked that too, as someone who manages people, it's important to be accepted. It's important to be respected, but it's important to have boundaries. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I liked that she wasn't also playing. Right. She was there. She was engaging with them, but there was a distance. Their jobs are different. And I don't know how much, you know, how truly intentional that was. Would she have been accepted? You know, at that point, probably she said, Hey, I want to play. And maybe she played a different game. We didn't see. Right. But, (laughs) but the way that it was portrayed, I, I appreciated I'm trying now I'm trying to think of the sort of military culture. I'm thinking about when they're on the helicopter. I mean, I'm comparing that to to the aliens drop scene, which I understand (laughs) I watched the extended cut of. But this was an extended scene that was very dark in the helicopter. (laughs) And I I think it was much more sophisticated Mm -hmm. than that's what I think. Yes, that is my long story short. I think this representation of military, military culture was more sophisticated. Um, yes, it was 30 years later, but arguably those Marines were in the future. So <laughs> what do y'all want from me? Speaking of the helicopter too, I and and to the filmmaking and the, the Catherine Bigelow of it all, how brave to have sort of radio silence on a dark helicopter. Yeah. Right. I ate several bites of my fruit salad before anyone said anything (laughs) today at lunch when I was watching the final (laughs) segments of the film. And it built tension, as I'm sure it was designed to. But it just also really struck me that she was forcing the time. You know, she allowed that time. It was to feel the dread. Yeah. And I I don't want to show my hand too much, but as I was consulting my experts for the game, I did have an expert in some way tell me that a veteran tell me that their um, qualm that they can remember with the movie. Because at first, uh, a buddy of mine said, oh, I I don't think I've seen it. And then we watched the trailer and he's like, oh, yeah, I've seen it. Here's what I remember. There is no way that helicopter, as he said, bullshit, didn't wake people up. Right, 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 right. And and then as I and and I of course I spoke to him in the morning and I hadn't yet watched that part and I don't know if that was the thing it seemed to me people were awake anyway so I I, I don't know but that was you know there's always a representation of a culture is always going to get something wrong mm-hmm. so I thought the way that they were speaking in those scenes was difficult to hear but felt very true 
Yeah, it was. It changed from being so clinical to being mm -hmm. very much in the moment, and it was, you know, scary. It was very full of tension, and it mm -hmm. it really makes it really puts you in there. I I liked, um, and then I'm also like, oh, I wanted more. The um, tall gentleman who had done a lot of it seemed to do a lot of sort of intel work for them, um, and I. I don't remember his background exactly, but um, but he spoke Arabic. Do you know who I'm talking about? The guy who's, who's using the bullhorn when they're at the compound to scare the people back and then comes through the house with the body bag? Yes, but was he also the one that um, yes, it would, it we'd was seen in the earlier? Car. We'd yeah. seen on the road, we'd seen, right? right? He was so interesting to me. I so wanted to know more about him. And I appreciated him being there, speaking to them, because it annoyed me when they were yelling. <sighs> As someone who is um, afraid of authority, it bothered me that they were yelling at them in English so much because I was right. like, you're yelling at them in English. So I was glad he was there so that they were yelling in another language as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was a hard. So I feel like I traded. I compromised with you all. I did not watch torture, but I watched that because, abs you know, absolutely they completed their mission, but they killed a number of people. Mm-hmm. And what those people did with their lives, you know, okay, but they kill people. And so that's that's hard for me to watch. There's another podcast I listen to called Blank Check, which is a fantastic, very funny podcast about movies uh, where they, they go through the filmographies of directors. And uh, they did Catherine Bigelow a couple of years ago. And I just listened to it recently. I didn't listen to the Zero Dark Thirty episode because I didn't want to sort of steal their ideas. One of the things that they talked about through the Catherine Bigelow miniseries was that she's a, they talk about her as a filmmaker of tension, that the thing she does really well mm. is, is, mm -hmm. is just like ratchet the tension up, uh, which is. Right. I mean, Hurt Locker, exactly, right? Exactly. Right. And, and you're, and this movie feels like, you know, the, the, the screws start tightening at the beginning and then it leads to this, you know, the sort of kind of breathless raid, even though we know how it ends. And even if, you know, mm -hmm. the time that this movie came out, I had read the, there was a New Yorker article not long after the, the Abbottabad raid where somebody had gotten interviews with the, some of the Steel Team 6 uh, operators. I think that's who they talked to, who talked through all this stuff, kind of beat by beat what had happened in the, or what the, how the story goes of how the raid happened. And, and so that was, it was, uh, you know, I, I knew the beats of what was going to happen, but her ability to sort of move from from moment to moment and not and me not lose where I am or the stakes of what's going on is I, I think that she is probably in this movie better at that than James Cameron was in Aliens. And I praised him for, for that in that movie. Now, it's a very different kind of movie. He's making a big, you know, sci fi action spectacle kind of thing. But but her ability to sort of as Ryan was saying, put you in the moment with these guys and not lose track of who we're following and what's going on and what are the stakes and 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 yet still have the tension just sort of ratchet up and up and up and up. I just think she's brilliant at that. I think you're completely right. She kept it off, at least for me, when um, they finally get him. And if you blink, you miss it. Like, you know, in a, I think in any other movie, it would have been like, there he is, cut to Bin Laden, mm -hmm. cut to, the, to this, the Navy SEAL, cut to Bin Laden, cut to the Navy SEAL. Uh, is he going to do it? Does he get him? But we don't get any of that. If you just looked away for a moment, you miss the entire thing. And so do the SEALs. They're like, oh, wow, that just happened. Right. And right. It, right. It just like takes all the air out for like, that moment of clarity and it's oh my god it's great it's it's so much better than if we got the dramatic 
back and forth right. that a different movie would have given us. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. I think you're right. It was um it was not it was not grandiose or grotesque mm-hmm. in a way that it easily could have been. Sorry, I couldn't find my words. I was smiling because Tobin was saying that this movie was better than Aliens and I appreciated that. <laughs> um, so they've they've gotten him. They've gotten Bin Laden and other people. And my favorite scene is when they arrive back to the base and are immediately, they're still working. They're still in work right. mode, right? So they have the, the body bag, but they have all this other stuff, hard drives and media and that, and they're following directions and there's just, there's just hubbub, right, in mm-hmm. this tent. And she starts slowly walking toward the tent mm. and then through the tent and she doesn't stop and say great job. I mean, you know, there's no conversation about it. She's walking and then the guy in charge is on the phone and at first I couldn't tell if he was following her or not. Mm-hmm. Like quite, I couldn't you know, because I was just watching her and she gets there and then it's clear he's on the phone. He needs her to make a positive ID. She does again, very not nonchalantly, but um, I had prepared myself. I was like, Aislinn, you've seen, was it the Time Magazine cover or Newsweek? Something had the image of, of him mm-hmm. on the cover, wasn't it? Or maybe they didn't, but a tabloid did. I'd seen it, right? So I was like ready for a, 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 a sniper mugshot. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And we didn't get that, which I appreciated. Um, but so, and then she just keeps walking yeah. through the tent to the other side. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. And then it's also not a giant visible release. And I think that's, you know, in my low stakes, low stakes life, that's also true. Like I don't immediately fall to pieces or whatever. You know, there's sort of a delay and a processing. And so she walked all the way through, you know, got air. But that wasn't the moment that like her universe shifted Mm -hmm. necessarily. Mm -hmm. And I, I just loved that scene. Completely. That shot of her against the sunset. Uh, it's just so so great you feel it and it it just moves oh it's great it moves uh, you well said you said it perfectly thank you i also loved the final scene but i don't want to no we should talk about that let's talk about the final scene yeah yeah i loved it i loved it and it could it was again subtle but clear Mm -hmm. um you know she uh, it's it looks as if dawn is breaking we don't know how much time has passed and the military pilot, you know, says something about, oh, you must be important. You're the only passenger, you know, and that's what he said. But I interpreted it as I th- think in part Maya did is like, yeah, I'm always the only passenger, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm not because I'm important, but because I've been yeah. so solitary and I've been so this has been the one thing and I've been the only one that, of course, I'm the only one here. And then the where do you want to go? Are you Maya? That's the only name they gave me. You can sit wherever you want. You're the only one in the manifest. You must be pretty important. You got the whole plane to yourself. Where do you want to go? Yeah, that's such a heavy question. Right, and I sort of expected it. I expected something like that. I love that it's unanswered. The, again, that stillness. There's a there's an extended moment of stillness, and and then um, some emotion, but it's still. I thought it was just gorgeous way to end it. What did what did you think, Tob? 
I love the way it's structured. I love, love, love. There's a great shot of the doors closing on the back of the cargo plane. Like it's not like she walks up the mm-hmm. like a gangplank on like a, you know, up the stairs mm-hmm. onto a plane, right? Like she walks on the back where you would drive the jeep on, onto the plane, mm-hmm. and then those doors close. And there's a shot from below that just for maybe half a second of those doors closing as this part of her life ends and and the idea of that question never being answered and like ringing through the the shot of her i think is wonderful i there's a moment in the middle of it where i'm like oh god is this going on too like i i'm popped out of the movie for just a second in the middle of that shot of her and then by the end of it i'm completely back in it again mine was that and i've only watched it once um but mine was it was going on too long for me purposefully because it was making me uncomfortable Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the way that it made her uncomfortable that she didn't have an answer and how sad it was. And she's always had an answer. There's all, she's always had an answer until now. So I guess I give that credit for being deliberate for that Mm -hmm. way, but also if it is her working too hard, because I sort of interpreted it as the character thinking how am I supposed to respond to that? Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to react to this new plane of existence I'm on? Mm-hmm. So that was the work that I saw. But also, if it's a failure, if for a segment of the last shot you've wavered and then we're one back, we're gonna take that as a we're gonna take that as a win. Ryan, what did you think of the way the movie ended? It really drives the whole thing home for me. Uh, and after watching it this time, I went and looked at to see what some people were saying about it, when it had to come out, and how did it, you know, quote, stand the test of time. And a lot of people said that it's cold and she didn't have any characterization. And oh god, I think if you, I think if you, <laughs> first off, that's dumb. Yeah. But if at any point you thought like, oh, she's a one note character, or you know, all she does is think about this, this just breathes every ounce of doubt that you could possibly have away, like. She is so honed in on who she is. And when that gets taken away from her triumphantly, it's just, it's tough. Like she's had this uh, this triumph, but it's who am I now? And that's such a. Right. It's going to be a shift in identity. Yeah. It's such an incredible moment that I think a lot of people can understand in much smaller ways than, um, you know, assassinating uh, Bin Laden. But it's so powerful. And um, I think it just drives home everything about her uh, in all the right ways. There are so many great walk on parts, not quite cameos, because the people aren't always famous enough for them to be cameos. Uh, but I wondered if you guys had a favorite like, oh, hey, that's so and so. I know that person who sort of walked onto this movie for a little bit. I have two, but they're very close together and very different. So when I saw the. Um, the Mark Duplass? Yes. Right. I get Mark and Jake abused. I was like, oh, it's you. Where's your brother? <laughs> um, I expected him to be one of the analysts in front of a computer. So that yeah, one. But yeah. for me, the one that had gravity was um, was James Gandolfini because it, I'm and I am not a Sopranos fan. And I'm not not a Sopranos fan. I just I've read about it, but I haven't watched it. But I love um the movie Enough Said mm-hmm. with every fiber of oh, my being. We got to do that I movie. Love, I love that movie so much. And it was such a f- sort of 
sadly a farewell to him. Yeah. That this to me was like him coming and waving. <laughs> I'm like, hey, you missed me in this. Um, so I I I loved it. I you know, yes, it took me out of it for a second, but um, but I, I loved it. So that's that's my favorite. Ryan, what about you? Any uh, any favorite standouts? Uh, those two are strong for me, but the other uh, strong favorite for me is Mark Strong. I really, uh, yeah. I really enjoy Mark Strong a lot. Um, I saw him last year in A View from the Bridge when it was on Broadway. Oh, lucky you. And it was incredible, and he was incredible. Um, of course, kick-ass, but uh, to see him with hair was very special. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm so sorry. Who's Mark Strong? Um, he's he's George. He's the guy inside the room where she's writing on the glass. He's her boss when she's back yes. in DC. Oh, okay. I, did, I recognize him. I didn't know his name. Um, he's a handsome um, adult gentleman. <laughs> and, and a Brit. Yes. Oh, even better. I knew you'd like that. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I mean, here's the thing. There are some stereotypical things I'm not into. I don't care about shoes. I don't care about purses. But accents do it for me. And I'm sorry. It's just, it's just true. Um, hey, y'all. Wait, wait, wait. Like I haven't got to tell mine. Oh, I haven't got oh, to tell mine. Oh, sorry. I thought you were just asking. Okay, never mind. No. Erase that. When do I ask Tobin? a question that I don't also have an answer to? <laughs> Valid point. Tobin, answer the question you've been waiting to answer. Um. So there are there. I, the, my first answer was Mark Duplass, who I think is so good in his in his bit in this movie. Oh. I, I think he should he should be put in these kind of movies more often because his he was so I thought he was so so fun in this. The other character that I oh and then the, then I like that the the um, guy in charge on the phone that we were talking about earlier when she's identifying the body played uh, Betty Draper's second husband in Mad Men. <laughs> I don't know the actor's <laughs> name. Thank you. Yeah. I recognized him. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the the other one that I the the, the one that I loved the most in, in sort of the way he took over the the screen whenever he was on screen was Edgar Ramirez, mm. who, who plays the guy who's driving the he's the guy who who she says uh, I don't care if you guys are asleep or need sleep or not and he he's in a movie called Carlos by one of my favorite oh, French directors yeah, about yeah. Carlos the Jackal mm-hmm. yeah and and it's uh, I think it, uh, it's like a five hour movie where he plays he plays like 20 or 30 years worth yes. of Carlos the Jackal's life mm-hmm. and he is so fucking good yeah, he's excellent. such a good actor uh, there's kind of a, a sw- non-swagger swagger that he has kind of a self-aware swagger anyway I loved I love seeing him in this movie so I think so I think we should we should um, take just a moment to mention the casting directors of this movie who I thought were responsible for sort of filling all these roles. There are three of them. There's Mark Bennett, Richard Hicks, and Gail Stevens. And they all have, they don't all work together. It looks like they all sort of have various credits. So I don't know how they divvied up the work, but I think this is a beautifully cast movie from sort of top to bottom. Agreed. And I think it would have, it worked even better in 2012 before Chris Pratt was Star-Lord. Yes, Right. Right. When this was the thing that changed him in, in a lot right. of in Hollywood's eyes. Yeah, for sure. The thing when Andy Dwyer became Star-Lord was this. Right, right. Would you all like to play a game? Yeah, let's play a game. So I am in my little corner of the world and fortunate enough to be across the hall from the Veterans Resource Center on our campus. Mm-hmm. So we've got um, the uh, Women's Center, though now Gender Equity Center, but the Women's Center versus <laughs> the Veterans Center. And I have forced a friendship 
um, <laughs> there. And so I host a radio show with the director of the Veterans Center, 90s at Noon on KWOO. You can um, tune in if you'd like. So I had access to some veterans. I, you know, I asked the question about how, how the SEAL Team 6 shift worked for you all. And that was in part because I, I was paying attention to it because I do have, um, as we all do, I'm sure veterans in my life. Um, so I was thinking about them and I thought, okay, here's the game. I have named it special ops and special props. (laughs) (laughs) Now I asked several veterans and, and to be very clear, I'm not an expert. I'm not speaking for all of military or its branches. Neither are the people I spoke with, right? I ask people about their experiences. Mm -hmm. So if I'm wrong, both people who like to argue with me on Twitter, then I'm wrong. (laughs) So I have people who were, um, I spoke to people who were in the Middle East, and this is um, in all cases in the early aughts. So while the events of this movie were taking place, I asked folks who were in the Middle East, and I asked, um, and then I spoke to um, a, a person or two who happened to be in South America for something very different and we can, I, I am not at liberty to say. Um, so I have a list of, of items and I would like you two to both guess, are these items easy to get or difficult oh, to get? Oh, good game. Special ops and special props. <laughs> I love it. I love I like it. it. Okay. So for example, we're going to start, I'm going to soft, soft pitch this to you. Okay. Okay. Alcohol. For my buddies who are in the Middle East, was alcohol easy to get, difficult to get? Difficult to get. I think it's difficult to get. Okay. I hope it's easy, but I, I'm going to go with difficult. In the Middle East, you are correct. Difficult to get. And in the case of my Marine friend, confiscated if Oh, found. wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. How about in South America? Does that make a difference? Easy to get, difficult to get. Uh, I'm going to say easy uh, to get. I'm going to say difficult, just to be contrarian to you. Okay. <laughs> um, Tobin was correct in that. In in this person's experience, easy to get did not was not regulated in the same way. Mm-hmm. How about uh, ibuprofen? <gasps> Ooh. Easy to get, difficult to get. I think they would have that. I'm also going to say easy to get. Yes, very true. And in fact, um, used it for everything. Oh, oh. like wait, what do you mean? <laughs> like oh, like you sprain, yeah, you sprained your ankle. Take some ibuprofen and walk it off. Yeah, okay, got, got it. it. Okay, got it, got it. Mm-hmm. How about private firearms? Difficult Easy to, to get, get, difficult to get. Can you bring your own gun? Can you take your own gun home? What's no. up? No way. I'm going to say easy. Just to, again to see see what we can if we can get some some points here. It was in fact um, difficult or confiscated. <laughs> but uh, in part because uh, not for safety, but because you were not able to bring back anything that could be considered a war trophy. Oh, interesting. And so there were times when people were doing raids in places and thought, I'm going to take this guy's, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, gold plated AK and can't get it through customs. Unfortunately for my friend, because uh, I asked, well, what about small things like not pocket knives and things? Could you take those? Because we're from Montana and we always have pocket uh-huh, knives. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and he took his, his uh, one of these people I talked to, his dad gave him a knife Uh-oh. that he 
took over with him and couldn't get back through. <gasps> oh, no. So that was that was rough. Um, so we talked about ibuprofen. How about uppers? Uh, caffeine oh, pills, hydroxyhead, other things. Easy. Yeah, easy to get. pretty easy to get. Yeah, it is easy to get. And apparently widely used um, until mm-hmm. some of the medics said, hey, y'all, probably don't want to be taking so much of that stuff. So it's going to be called. Let's talk about pornography. Let's. Let's start with the Middle East. <laughs> easy to get, difficult to get. Difficult to get. Uh, yeah, I wish that's probably pretty hard to get in the Middle East. Well, friends, based on the experiences of those I know, not if you bring your own hard drive. <laughs> <laughs> so you can bring so, your own hard drive right. of porn, but not weapon. Uh huh. Got it. Correct. Got it. And so external so if hard I drive. Found a hard drive <laughs> and claimed it. <laughs> <laughs> so people have laptops. Someone brings an external hard drive. You you know you take it. You, it's a, a take a penny, share a penny situation, <laughs> uh, which then in this situation led to a lot of um, Trojan horses and et cetera. Um, let's talk about it in, would it be any different in South America or no. not? Oh, oh, good question. Uh, no, I don't think it's, if it's easy there, I could bring a hard drive to South America. <laughs> It's it's true you could, but in the case of the person I spoke with, yeah. they were explicitly told, "Do not bring any pornography on any sort of personal device into this country." Wow! So that's just interesting. Uh, two more decks of cards, easy to get or strangely difficult to get. I'm going to say difficult. I'll say easy. Yeah, it was easy. Everybody oh, had deck of cards. You, you threw me. Yeah. And I know that's the point. In fact, folks would be known to um, take old equipment like old, uh, you know, giant spools, turn them sideways, make a poker table, mm. you know, have something that would be like felt and, and play cards. And then finally, and this one is, it's, I'm going to change it a little bit. For our final question, for the tiebreaker, were it to be a tie, in which location that I spoke to people who had been deployed either the Middle East or South America, mm-hmm. in which location did the unit uh, that I spoke with have private security outside their um, living situation and anywhere they went? I'm going to say South America. I would tend to agree, but again, to challenge you, I would say the Middle East. All right. Well, all instincts are correct. It was in South America. Mm. Mm. Is that not interesting that the the military unit had private security? Yeah. Did you say why? Drug stuff and kidnapping, yes. right? Isn't that the right? So they were there related to to drug yeah. drug related trafficking related drug. things. But it was interesting that it was if they went to McDonald's, if they went to oh, wow. the water park that was nearby, which was did not happen often. Also, the other. The folks I talked to that were in the Middle East were not um, – did not go anywhere off hours. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. So it was a, it was a non-issue and because I, I, I was trying to ask – I was trying to make it – you know, I have a whole page of notes because it was all interesting things I didn't know and I wanted to, you know, honor the stories that they were telling me. But um, they, uh, you know, in the, the folks in the Middle East would buy things when they were on patrol – like in, um, you know, if they were in a, in a bizarre a, an area market, that, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, but we're not, um, did not go anywhere without it or, you know, uh, uh, on off time. And we're not permitted to. Mm-hmm. And and in South America, they, they were, but only in particular groups. Wow. So small group, but not too large of a group. Um, it is such yeah, a, it, the other one. I it, That reminds me that there's that terrifying scene where she drives out of her driveway that we talked a little bit about. Oh, my uh, goodness. Guys with machine mm-hmm. guns start shooting at a car and the and her and the guard oh who's like opening, closing her. Uh, I could just can you imagine living living that way? It's just that's just just terrifies me. Yeah. The, the tension of the piece, as you mentioned, in both that scene and then the final, like, we know we know what happens, but now we're seeing how it happened. Reminded me a little bit of Argo. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Um, and the way that they were hidden and surveilled, mm-hmm. and then knowing how the story ended, and and I, you know, I knew the first time, but for me, it really stuck out when I was going to the movie for the second time <laughs> and was still like, the plane needs to take off. <laughs> so. And what's interesting, too, is that the both movies were nominated for best editing that year and they share an editor. Oh, oh that makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Real quick, just to go back, I, I do want to thank the folks from the Veterans Resource Center for answering my silly questions and sharing their information <laughs> with me so that we could play a game and learn a little bit more about how um, the world is different in different places at different times. So yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you all. Uh, so this comes to the point in a podcast where we decide whether the movie is progressive or regressive. Is this movie a step forward or a step back for fearless women in front of and behind the camera? Uh, Ryan, what do you say? Um, well, I think this was an, an interesting year for movies in general. You had uh, for Best Picture that year, there was Silver Linings, Sarah Dark Thirty, Les Mis, um, which I think is they're all amazing. And um, yeah, I would 100% say that Zero Dark Thirty puts a woman in a place that even now, never mind 2012, you know, we don't often see in Hollywood. And, uh, she mm-hmm. absolutely not only holds her ground, but owns the movie, carries us through the whole way in both the director's seat and in um, Jessica Chastain. Awesome. Aizen, what about you? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, like Tobin said, you know, hard to watch, but watchable is um, a needle to thread. And I think um, Catherine Bigelow does that with beauty and integrity in this film about a character played by Jessica Chastain, who does things that many of us maybe wouldn't do, but does it in, I mean, I can respect her determination and her, um, you know, the, the things that, that we, we've talked about that she's, uh, you know, persistent and this is a vocational journey for her, even if it's not something that I would do. And so, um, to, to ride that line, I think is, is great to have that as, as a main character and Jessica Chastain, a a true chameleon. (laughs) And I enjoy watching her. Tobin. Yeah, I completely agree. She, you said it so well, Ryan. She, Jessica Chastain owns this movie. She uh, lives and breathes this part. And she says she has said that one of the things that struck her when she read the script was how how unusual it was for a, to see a, a, a character written for a woman who was the lead of a film like this, a sort of, you know, dark, true, true life 
you know, espionage thriller. That's not quite, not quite espionage, but like a, but like a, you know, like a, like a dark true, true life thriller. And the, the, you know, and who has then has a whole arc within that, but the arc isn't about her personal life. It's about her, her job and her growing into her job and her mm-hmm. being so good at, at her work. She talks about, she talked about it reminding her of Clarice Starling, the Jodie Foster character from Sons of the Lambs mm-hmm. in that way. And that just felt so right to me that there it feels like a real kinship. I feel like the two of them would work well together oh, yeah. <laughs> if, if the FBI and the CIA ever needed to sort of cross paths and um, and work together, <laughs> work together on a case. And I, I just think and the movie then is 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 shot with, with such integrity and such respect for the people who are for the process and for the people who are going through it. And you, you just cannot. Uh, um, Catherine Bigelow may not be a very showy director you know as we've been saying it's not the, it's not a shot comes up and you say oh my god it's, it's a beautiful shot that takes you out of the movie it's the beauty is sort of embedded within the story and within within the shots and within the behavior that that she is capturing from her characters at her best she is one of the best and i think that this is her at her best agreed well speaking of people being good at their jobs yes thank you i've been holding it for like two minutes um <laughs> Please join us for our discussion of Hidden Figures coming in two weeks on May 1st. And do you want to tell them who our guest is going to be for that episode? I would love to. Our guest is going to be um, one of my favorite people in the universe, our dad, uh, Jeff Addington. Whoa. Yay. Yeah. Who is, yeah. A, who is a math and science guy. <laughs> yes. We're, we got really got the real nerds coming in next week. So going to be good. Hey, Ryan, thanks so much for coming and chatting with us. I really appreciate you taking time out of your out of your schedule to watch this movie and to talk with us about it. Of course. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Tell people where they can find you, where they can find your work, if you would like to be to uh, to be found online or in the world. Sure. Uh, you can tweet me. I'm at Ryan underscore McGilloway. And if you go ahead and search Ryan McGilloway on YouTube, that's my YouTube channel where I've got some fun videos, mostly Star Wars related, but also some shorts and things like that that I've, I've put up there. And uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. And for people like me, um, could you go ahead and spell McGilloway? Sure. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I get McGilloway a lot, but it is phonetic. It's M-C-G-I-L-L-O-W-A-Y. And we'll put a note in the uh, show notes and spell that out for you there, too. Thank you. Uh, you. Perfect. You can find me on Twitter at Tobin Addington. And you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Sassy Nerd MT. And sassy she is on Twitter. <laughs> yes, she is. Loving every minute of it. And you can find us at facebook.com slash the contenders pod or on Twitter at contenders underscore pod. Tell us what movies you'd like to see us do in the future. We, yep, period. <laughs> <laughs> We here at The Contenders are proud members of the Cage Club Network. For all those great shows, go to cageclub.me, M-E, mm-hmm, or facebook.com slash cageclub <laughs> and find them at Cage Club Pod on Twitter. 
You can find all the Cage Club Network shows on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our show. Uh, it really helps us spread the word about what we're what we're up to. I'd like to shout out, as we will occasionally do, to our sort of at the moment our only uh, Facebook interactor. There's a, a gentleman, Alan Thomas, is on our our Facebook post every time that we post an episode and is listens to it very quickly and gets online and talks back to us and not talks back. That's not the right way to say that, but interacts <laughs> with us through, through Facebook. So if you want to get in on that discussion, go to our Facebook page and uh, yeah, and join in the conversation. But it really is nice to hear from people who are listening to the show and are liking the show. So yeah, leave us a comment, seek us out on Twitter and let us know uh, what we, uh, what, what other movies we should see and what you think of our work. Uh, I am. Oh, sorry. Aslan, yes, you have a thing. I hear your, vo- I hear your breath. What's what you got? <laughs> I also, I just wanted to share a comment. Okay, please share a comment. Is this um, another person so who loves this, you? Or you just, is that, is that this new segment of the show where you? <laughs> no, this is a person that I love. Oh, okay. So I wanted to share a comment um, from a, a Mr. Joe Bolenbaugh. Oh, yes. Um, who pointed out future, from the future, Aliens episode. Future guest Joe Bolenbaugh. Future guest who pointed out all uh, of the Aliens episode, all the stock of James Cameron and not one mention of Titanic. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. And Joe, I am so sorry to disappoint yeah. you. I apologize. We will strive to do better and, and come on the show and help us do better. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So thanks. Thank you all for listening. I am Tobin Addington. I'm Ryan McGillowit. And I'm Isla Addington. And we'll see you next time on The Contenders. Can we record those intros? I just put them at the bottom of our of that page. Would love to. Which one am I? Oh, I'm red. Okay, hold on. I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> right. I leaned away. I, <laughs> I leaned away. I passed. Okay. I made a promise to myself a couple of weeks ago that I'm going to be like totally honest <laughs> about in my life thing. or in this podcast. No, God, no, in this podcast. <laughs> I said, what are we talking about today? Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, no, go ahead. stop go ahead. it. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought we weren't going to fight anymore. <laughs> uh.